Blog Talk Radio. Chatting with Nat is a podcast for independent women seeking to speak their truth and to break down barriers. We host honest conversations that help to guide and empower women. Speak your truth and set yourself free. Let your voice be heard. Hi everyone, this is Natalie Jean, Natalie Jean, yes, this is Chatting with Nat, and today we have the honor of having singer-songwriter, recording artist, Helen O'Shea. Helen O'Shea is an Irish-born singer-songwriter, recording artist based in Princeton, New Jersey, where she leads the Celtic band Shenanigans, Songs of Ireland, Old and New, as well as Ellen O'Shea and the Shenanigans, performing her original songs in the style of a Mary Celtic, a Mary Celtic Cana. Wow, I love that Americana with a Celtic twist. Her first EP, Mama Told You, and her subsequent CD, Turning Tides, featuring her original songs about life, love, loss, and legacy, were produced by two-time Grammy winner. Mark Swirsky at Shorefire Recording Studios in Long Branch, New Jersey. Her latest EP, Know You're Enough, recorded at Shorefire and Sound on Sound Studios in Montclair, New Jersey, will be released today, July 16th, featuring her most recent singles, Someone Is Waiting and Only One, as well as her original tribute to John Prine, one of her all-time favorite songwriters in prime time. Let's give her a round of applause for Ellen O'Shea. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here, especially on release day. Yes, it's always fun to talk to somebody else on release day because releasing yeah, things. Yeah, it really is. You, oh you've my had God. it hidden for so long and now it's out in the world and it's like, it's very exciting. And sometimes you're like at home doing the dishes and it's like nothing really happened, you know, so it's really thrilling to get to talk to you today of all days. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, we're, I mean, we've done, you've done this through a pandemic. People say, oh, we're not in pandemic anymore. Yes, we are. Because um, it's just crazy with all these variants out here. So how have you been, yeah. during, how have you been during this entire pandemic thing? Well, to be very honest with you, um, it couldn't have come at a worse time for us because as you said, I have two different bands. One, uh, sings the traditional songs of Ireland, uh, as my mother taught me when I was younger, uh, Shenanigans. But the other band uh, we use for my original work, and they're amazing. But we had a slate of shows booked with both bands in March of uh, 2020, I think it was, right? That it hit. And we had just done the first Shenanigans show, and it went really well. And the following day, everything got shut down. So we mm. had, like, I think it was between the two bands, we had, like, nine shows cancelled and um, when you're <clears throat> a live act as you know yourself Natalie and you're required to practice face to face with your band because our practices as you can imagine are very rowdy and very live right uh, for it to go from that to zero yeah. it, it had a terrible effect on all of us you know all the musicians all the singers um, and it was much longer than we expected so um I think musically uh, it really affected us financially. Of course, it affected everybody. Um, but uh, I was like 
floundering. I didn't know what to do because as, as you and Nikki both know, I'm the worst tech person in the world. So for those who could pivot to live stream just like that, well, that's not me because sadly I don't play an instrument. I sing and write songs. Right. Um, so then I reverted back to, you know, how I grew up in Ireland. Um, I had once before done an a cappella show in honor of my mother. And in between, my mom had passed away. So I decided mm-hmm. that March, on March 17th, I had an opportunity to do an a cappella show called Songs My Mother Taught Me. So that scratched the creative itch for March. But then after that, I was like, what do I do? And who am I without music? You know what I mean? So I had started working on the EP with my producer, Mark Swirsky, um, before my mom passed away. And it, it was going in a totally different direction. It was supposed to be like upbeat and not at all like me because my band are always saying to me, Helen, will you please write a happy song so we can jam out and not, you know, these sad, you know, uh, ballads about people, you know, and situations, you know, which is what I tend to write about. Right. It started out with only one, which if you've heard it, it's a real, um, really out of the comfort zone for me. I mean, the day we were in the studio, when I heard it back, I was like, lads, I can't release this. I'm a singer from Ireland. You know, they're never going to believe it. And it turns out that it's everybody's favorite song we've ever done, including the band. So it started out with a very happy vibe and it was going to be all upbeat songs. And then my mom passed away. So that knocked me sideways for, you know, a very long time because it was unexpected. And um, by the time I went to pick up the pieces, Mm -hmm. uh, it was three months before the pandemic. So then the pandemic hit. And the thing about the pandemic, Natalie, is we had terrible losses, like, across the world in in different ways. Lots Mm -hmm. of life, lots of identity, lots of things we'll never get back. But in other ways, uh, for me, I can only speak for me personally, but I know other people have said similar things. It gave me a very new appreciation of things that I had just been taken for granted. And yeah. one of those, like, I don't want to sound sloppy or anything, but one of those was my husband. I mean, when you're living with somebody for 30 years, you tend to like, oh, yeah, he does his thing and I do my thing and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I watched him carry his company of, I think there's about 25 people in his company, through really difficult times with such class and such dignity. They didn't lose anybody. Nobody lost their job. It took a lot of creative work and late nights on his part. And at the same time, he carried the family through a very difficult time. You know, we have a teenager, we have a kid in college. And it, I just, it was like somebody opened my eyes or cleaned my windows. And I was like, oh, my God, this person is really, really special. So the song on the album called Hey Darling that has never been released, it's out today for the first time. Is, is written for my husband from a place of honesty for what I saw in him during the pandemic. So the point for me about the pandemic is the losses were terrible and I have friends who lost people at very young ages and their lives will never be the same. But it's right. also a time to pause and say, what can we take from this experience into the next chapter and what can we leave behind? Yeah, I, I agree with you uh, 100% because the next question that I have for you um, is about the whole pandemic thing. The pandemic thing, was it was crazy. It was horrible on so many levels. I can't even, even go into the craziness and how horrible it was, but there were, bright, there were bright parts in it. I mean, climate change, my God, the animals were just like, oh, we can breathe because nobody's outdoor. You know, Mother Nature was just like, whoo. 
Oh my God! I absolutely, can see absolutely. And the sky was clear, and nobody yeah. was getting. I know we were all wearing masks, but it's the least sick people have been ever in yeah. in the year. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. And you know, I was able to do a bunch of webinars, conferences, work from home, do all this stuff um, on music, and I had time to self reflect. I, I mean, I've been doing that uh, since before the pandemic, but I really decided who I wanted to be as an artist as well. And I think a lot of people took that time. A lot of people that I talked to on the podcast, they talked, they said, yeah, you know, I had a year of dance time. So I really wanted to figure out who I was as an artist. Did, did that also happen to you where you, you, you did some self-reflection for yourself and how you want to be perceived as an artist? Absolutely. But I have to tell you, before I, before I answer that question, I really want to answer that question. You're okay. being very generous because you're not sharing with everybody that not only did you do self-reflection during the pandemic, but you also thought very seriously about how you can elevate other women in the profession during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And by creating Sisters in Music, you and Nikki are about to do something magnificent for the women in music across the world. And I'm proud to say that I became member number 11 on on Wednesday, I think it was. And I think you're going to go to the thousands of members because of who you both are and what your mission is. And I really want people to understand that what you've done and what you're doing is an absolute gift to every woman in music, whether she's 13 or 73. And, and I applaud you, and I'm behind you, and, you know, I already signed up to be a volunteer for your event in New York because it's near Princeton, but, you know, I told you before, other things I can do, like on the computer, I would help with, but you need a band of women to get behind you. The days of somebody takes their shoulder to the wheel and they do everything, those are gone. Women need to wake up, uh, we're all in this together, and we all need to put our shoulders to the wheel. There's no divas. You know, amen. so let me answer your, sorry. No, I said, amen. No divas. No divas. No divas. We will wear crowns, but we That's ain't no divas. I'm proud not to be divas because we all need to get to work and, and support people like you and Nikki that have the courage and the dedication to lead a charge like this. People need to get behind you. And it's not just liking your posts. It's like, what can I do? Raise your hand. You know exactly. But to answer your question about the reflection, it's very interesting, Natalie. You know, um, I didn't reflect so much right in the middle of it. In the middle of it, it was like, what can I do to keep myself going? Um, you know, it was really a survival mode. But as we petered out and really in the last two, I really gave some thought to this, and I'm like, you know, I'm a lot older than a lot of musicians. I came to music. Um, I was 50 when I started working in music. Remember, I was in medicine and research and teaching. And when we moved to Princeton, I had the opportunity because I needed to be home with the kids to to go back to what it was that I always wanted to do. Um, so I don't have time for messing around. I'm late to the party, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to go out in a coffin singing. And that's absolutely true. So I've decided after the pandemic... I don't have any time to waste anymore. So, and this is very new. Like I haven't even discussed this with my husband, but I woke up last week and I said, you know something? If I need a record company, I'm going to make my own record company. I'm going to follow the John Prine model. Oh boy records. If you look at his bio, 
he sat mm. in his uh, kitchen and said to his friend, why should we be paying the record company, you know, all this money to right. for the records that we're making? So he very smartly created Oh Boy Records because he said, oh boy, that's good. He used to say, oh boy, all the time. And he mailed his CDs to his fans. So I'm like, okay, that's lesson number one from John Prine, who I adore, by the way. Um, so I don't know how to do it yet, but I'm going to figure it out. The second lesson is my fan base is not the wonderful hip hop artists and the music that my son listens to. You know, <laughs> a white boy in Princeton, he is and knows every artist and, you know, and he loves that music. And I don't understand it. I think the writing is brilliant, but that's not my tribe, you know? So my but there are a lot of men that like my music when I look at the Spotify stuff because there's stories about life and stories about real relationships with kids, with partners, you know, mm. how to help your kids do better in the world. Like only one is about you don't need 10 friends. You need one friend. And if you have one good friend, you can get through all the high school crap. And when you're older, if you have one good friend when you're 70 that you can go to bingo with, that's all you need. You know, and when you, when you distill it down like that, it's a good life lesson. But, you know, my audience is not everyone on Instagram or everyone on Facebook. In fact, most of my audience probably doesn't do social media. So that's another reflection that I've had is I have to find a different way to get songs that I write that I know people respond to because I've seen it in live shows. I need to find those people and more right. of them and focus on them. That's my, that's my big revelation. Awesome. I love that. So tell us a bit about yourself. You're from Ireland, right? No, I can tell. I'm from Ireland. I was, <laughs> I was born in Limerick in Ireland in a, in a small town in County Limerick called Rathkey. And I'm going to tell you more than I normally tell people. And I made my mind up about this this morning because I would have liked to have heard this when I was younger. So I grew up, my father was a policeman. My mom was a stay-at-home mother. My father didn't believe in borrowing money for anything, so he paid cash for everything. And he had his reasons for that, which we may or may not go into, because my father is a very, very big influence in my life to this day, even though he passed away in 2008. So... We lived in a two-bedroom house with four children in this village in Limerick. We had no bathroom, an outside toilet, which was freezing in the winter. And I think when they moved there, they only had me and they always planned to move. But he was saving money so that he could pay and not have to borrow from the bank. He was terrified of being poor from his own background. You know what I mean? Um, So I grew up when I was 13 in a bedroom with uh, the baby in the cot. That was my brother, Joe. My brother was on the other side of us, Steve, and my sister and I shared a bed in the middle. And I thought that was normal. But when I got to 13, it was very hard because I was now in high school and I couldn't, I had nowhere to do homework. There was no place quiet, as you can imagine, with four kids. So my father, being a policeman, he happened to get promoted in that year to sergeant. And what happened in Ireland back in the day, Natalie, was if you were a sergeant, you were assigned housing. So we went from this tiny little house in the middle of the street um, with no backyard, nothing, to this gorgeous house in another village in Limerick that had the Garda station was on one side of the house and the living quarters were on the other. So I thought I had died and gone to heaven. And I had a room I shared with my sister and it was a whole new life. But the reason why I tell you that is because 
when I go to Ireland, I go back and I stand in front of that front door and I go, if I could go to medical school from here, anybody can do anything because we, we were not dirt poor, but we were, we were not rich. And my father's whole thing, our whole life from when we were four years old was education, 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 education is your ticket out. So anybody who's listening, who's wondering how do you make your life better, pay attention in school and listen and learn as much as you can because that's very important to me to get that message out now. I love that. I love that. I I, I was in Ireland woo, many, 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 many moons ago. I love Ireland. Um, was it, was it, I'm sure they love you over there too. You're their kind of people, Natalie. <laughs> it was, yeah, well, it was very interesting. Um, so I was in Waterford. And during that right, time, right. there are no black people. <laughs> so no, I felt no. a star because everywhere I went, people were staring. And this was a long, this has to be like 20 some years ago. And, uh, right. yeah. and the, the, there were these two guys that saw me, they kept calling me Venus. And I was just like, Venus, what is that? And I didn't make the reference that they thought they were trying to put the, Correlate me with the, the tennis players. <laughs> um, oh my! We went to the mall and people were just staring. We went. To, it was it was interesting. I mean, people were welcoming, and I had an awesome yeah. time. I went there for a wedding. A friend of mine was getting married. Yeah. But um, yeah. I got Ireland is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, but you're but you're absolutely right. Like you know, I saw no. I saw one person of color my whole life when I was eighteen. And it was my piano teacher's daughter's boyfriend. So I would see him regularly at church. Um, but that was the way that Ireland was back then. You know, I will tell you that Ireland is a very different Ireland today than it was even five years ago. Do you know what I mean? In terms of evolution, in terms of, you know, opening up. I mean, there was a time when you couldn't mention the word divorce. And then, you know, with our prime minister in Ireland, we were the first to have, you know, gay marriage in Europe. You know, it's been a leader in, you know, diversity and inclusivity, which I would never have predicted for a country that was so Mm. insular and where the government was so tied to the Catholic Church when I was growing up, you know. It's pretty crazy. Um, So It's good good to see, though. It's good to see the evolution there. I mean, whew, we've gone through so much stuff in the past six years, and things are evolving. Things are, so, you know, things are evolving in a great way. Some is going, I don't know where it's going, but I, I love to see uh, the acceptance of people in the world. That I mean, we need more love, understanding, and compassion in the world. And I think that we're getting there, slowly but surely. Uh, yeah, just, but it's it's a, it's a it's a process. I mean, you would think that it's yeah. so. It's so, it's so like common sense. You would think that it should have happened years ago or that you could pull a switch. I mean, that's what I don't understand. It's very frustrating. But, you know, love is love. We're all people. We've all been through hell in the last year. Nobody was untouched by what we all went through. So if anything, it should bring us all together in an organic way, you know? Amen to that. So we're going to play your song... Prime time. Which one? Which one are you choosing? Prime time. Oh, fantastic! So let me say a word about that, Natalie. I wrote a poem for Fiona Prime. I don't know her personally, but she's from Ireland, 
And when you're Irish in America, you feel a kinship, even if you don't know the person. But right. when he was sick, um, we were all, like, everybody was devastated, and we were lighting candles for him and everything, and we all thought he was going to recover because he'd recovered from everything before. Right. And um, right. I, my heart just went out to her um, because, you know, she's from Donegal. She's from the same country as me. And... In June, I wrote a poem for her that's longer than anything I've ever written. It was like eight verses or something. And I put the verses up one at a time on Instagram because they were so long. I needed one slide for each one. And I, I, I want to tell you, first of all, the song is dedicated to John, but it's inspired by a poem I wrote for Fiona. Second of all, um, my producer, we had just finished recording for this album. This song did not exist, right? And we had our six songs. We finished recording on a Sunday. I posted the poem on a Monday thinking this would be part of the next album, you know. My producer calls me at 7 o'clock in the morning, Mark. He's hilarious. He has two little kids, so he's always up early. And those days are gone for me because mine are teenagers, you know. And uh, he calls me up. He's like, did you write write this poem? Did you write this poem? I said, who do you think wrote it? I'm not going to post a nine-verse poem that someone else wrote. And he's like, we have to make a song. And we have to do it this week and we have to put it in the album. I said, are you out of your second mind, right? So this was Monday. Sunday, we're all in the studio. My, my band leader, John Mazio, with his mandolin, who's never been in the studio before. I dragged him by the hair of the head. And now he thinks it's the best experience he ever had. And Mark and a fiddle player that is like no other called Joe Denenson. Um, mm-hmm. If you ever need a fiddle player for recording, this guy is unbelievable. I'm sure he's a violin player, but in Ireland we call everything the fiddle. And a drummer that is amazing called Santo Rizzolo. He's now local in Princeton. But in we went, and uh, I had the words, and I called Mark and I said, this is the melody I hear for the chorus, and I sang the melody to him over the phone. He said, give me at 12 o'clock. This is 7 o'clock in the morning. 12 o'clock, he had the first draft of the music. So I spent the whole week learning the melody and getting the song down. And then we had to teach John because John sings on the choruses as well as playing the mandolin. And we had that song finished a week later and we bumped Unbecoming, which I had put into the Grammys last year, the single. We bumped Unbecoming because we felt Unbecoming had had its day in the sunshine and we put Prime Time on the album. Wow. Music is just fun, isn't it? (laughs) It was meant to be. <laughs> right. It was meant to be. I love I love the surprises that happen with music. And, and and I swear to God, Natalie, I sent a note to Fiona. I don't know if she ever got it, but I sent her a note on Messenger because it was such a special day. I described the day for her. I know she's still deep in grief, but if ever she goes back and looks at her messages, she'll find it. We felt a presence in the studio in Montclair that day. Everybody mm-hmm. said it. It wasn't just me. There was a reverence and a dignity and, you know, I, I love the studio anyway, but this was different. It felt different. It felt right. It felt respectful. And we felt like we were doing something spiritual, you know? All right. Well, let's play it. Here we go. Take a little prime time when you're feeling kind of low. The rhythm of his rhyming will make you tap your toe. Words that flow like fine wine will chase away your woe. Spread his love and kindness everywhere you go. The man, the myth, the legend, he answered every call. 
and the hills of Donegal. From Paris in the springtime to Montgomery in the fall. Americana to Shanachie is a myth by one and all. The world is lit with candles for every soul he touched. And we all bowed our heads in prayer because he was loved so much. He taught us all to get along with his storied empathy and sang us back to who we were with songs that set us free. Take a little prime time when you're feeling kind of low. The rhythm of his rhyming will make you tap your toe. Okay, I wish <clears throat> I wish I had one of those fancy answers for you, but it couldn't be simpler. I grew up in that little house, and the my mother was always happy when she was singing, and she loved singing. I mean, she had a beautiful voice. So, you know, all I ever remember is her singing, and she was happy. So I always associated singing with something good. So when we would go in car rides to my grandmother's or anywhere, we all had to have a song in the car. So she taught us all different songs. She taught me all the old Irish songs. She would sing from the minute she got in the car until we got home. And my father loved to hear her sing. So he'd be like, Joe, Joe, start a song. And she'd give all the kids a song, no matter how young they were, there was an age-appropriate song. So I grew up in a house where singing was a, a huge deal, and I sang all the time. And um, when I was in high school, 
I joined a duo. I had this great friend. She used to write songs, which to me was like, oh, my God, you're a genius. Um, And she had a very high voice, and I had a very low voice. So she taught me how to sing harmonies to her original stuff. And one of the songs that we used to do together that people loved and would always ask for was Father and Son. And she would do the son part, you know, Cat Stevens? Yeah. And I would do the father. And um, we were asked to play at, like, church events and school events and whatever. <clears throat> and then we uh, we were part of this, I don't know if you remember, the charismatic renewal. They used to have, like, camps for kids. So my mother would bring us all down in the tent um, to the beach in Fenora on the west of Ireland. And we would go to these charismatic renewal things because my mother was very religious. But, of course, we were going there to spot the talent and see what boys came down from Dublin and all that kind of stuff. But it was all singing. And there was a guy there who had a band and he asked me to join the band when I was 18. So I went to my father and I said, Dad, I want to join the band. All I want to do is sing. And my father said, get that notion out of your head. You're going to college and you're going to be a doctor and I don't want to hear anymore. So being that I loved my father and I was a daddy's girl, I was like, okay, I'm not going to bring it up again. And I never did, Natalie. And I went to college, became a doctor. When I was in college, I, I kind of really liked this guy who was in a band so I would get my fix about being in the band just hanging out with them and making mixtapes for them to play while they were setting up their equipment and everything and you know I said okay that's it that door is closed and I need to go through this door because this is what my father says I need to do because in Ireland you did what your parents told you there was no question you know <laughs> not like my two. Oh my god not like these two here but anyway I went <laughs> off to medical school I worked in Ireland, I worked in England, I worked in America, I worked in Canada. And in 2008, my poor father was killed instantly in a car crash. And I remember I was I was working at McGill at the time at McGill Medical School. And I went home to Ireland for the for the funeral. And I remember this is weird now, you know, the night between when they have the removal, and then they do the burial the day after. So it was a Friday night, and I was standing in the kitchen, it was full of people, you know, and we had taken him home, you know, because we do the wake in Ireland in the house. And I remember standing there in my suit in the kitchen going, who am I going to call now when my research gets picked for a meeting in Spain or when I have to go to Montreux or all these things? Everything that happened to me in medicine, he was my first call because it was 50% for me and 50% for him. And that was when I heard the message in my head, no line, actually, I'm not mad, the message in my head, Remember how you wanted this thing. You need to start thinking about that. And on the flight back to Montreal, I had a napkin on the plane, and I'd written down 10 songs, 10 cover songs, by the way. It never occurred to me to write, but 10 songs that I was going to record before I died. So that was the first nugget of going back to my dream. And then when my husband found out that his company was closing in Montreal, that was in 2010. So two years later, um, I said to myself, okay, I got to figure this out because this is probably my last chance to do anything different. Um, And some of the kids at McGill were having a big show to support the, the blood donation society would say. And they asked for anybody with talent in the university to donate their talent. So I'd never done anything like this before, but I sent in an application saying that I would sing an acapella song. Um, And I was the only professor. I thought there'd be loads of professors. So there was me and all these, 
super talented students. And I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? But I was leaving anyway. I knew I was leaving in 2011. So you, you get courageous when you're leaving, right? Um, so I did the whole thing, the rehearsals, the interview, the audition. I went through the whole process. And what's really cool about this is it was one song. It was an old Irish folk song on a beautiful stage in Montreal. And the back cover of my album is a still from that night, the back cover of Know You're Enough, because okay. that was the first night that I ever realized my dream. Mm. And then the, the front cover is me with the band at the Bitter End in December 2018 with the best show we ever did. I just love the Bitter End. Yes, the Bitter End is fantastic. Uh, the Indie Collaborative has had some shows there. And when I lived in New York, I, I used to go to the Bitter End. Um, fabulous, fabulous venue. Um, yes. Tell us about your new album, Know You're Enough. Okay, so... <clears throat> the name on the new album is actually a line from the only cover song on the album, which I think is the best love song that's ever been written. And it's a song by Jason Isbell called Cover Me Up. So that's okay. the only cover. And I reworked as the duet. As you know, Jason sings it um, from the male perspective, the whole song. So I reworked it as a duet where I do the first half and this brilliant singer-songwriter from New Jersey, I first found him as a songwriter because his writing is so inspiring but then I realized his voice is unlike any other and he had previously recorded with me on the Christmas Irish song Fairy Tale of New York so we brought him in to do Cover Me Up as well so that's the last song on the album it's a cover of Jason Isbell but that's where I took Know You're Enough from and that was a message to my mother when she was sick and passing away and regretting things that had happened between us or whatever. And I was like, no, you're more than enough. You're more, you did more than enough, blah, blah, blah. And then it became a mantra to my daughter, who's now 16. You know, you're, know you're enough. It's not enough to say you're enough. They need to know it themselves. And then it became a message to myself during the pandemic. And now I hope it will be a message to everybody who listens to the song. So the title is really important. Um, the album itself, like I said, I had started working on this before my mom passed away. So we had two tracks done. We had only one done with this fabulous sax player, Tommy LaBella, here from the shore here. Um, and the drummer on all the tracks except for Primetime is uh, Steve Holly, who plays with Paul McCartney and um, many other artists. But he's an absolute gentleman. I love working with him. So he's played on an awful lot of my songs so far. And um, then we did Someone Is Waiting. So that was a tribute to my um my godfather's wife Catherine who okay. when I switched from medicine to music, not everybody was happy, Natalie, as you can imagine. Not many people understood that I needed to be home with my children and I didn't care because when you get to a certain age, you live your life. You've done enough for everybody by then, you know? That's what yeah. unbecoming was about. But um Catherine was in my corner from the first open mic I did until the day she died. And Someone Is Waiting is a song about somebody in hospital who knows about me, about my mother, and worried about everybody else. And she was a huge support of my music and just the loveliest, kindest person. And when she was passing away, I was here in the States and I couldn't get home. So I wrote Someone Is Waiting as a way to help her navigate through what she knew she was facing. 
you know, and know that there was somebody waiting for her on the other side. So those two songs were done. The next thing that happened was my mom, as I said, passed away. So I was actually in a songwriting course um, during that time with Carrie Cole in New York. And I was so devastated when I came back from the funeral that I really wanted to opt out. I was going to call Carrie and say, listen, let me out of this class and let me join another one. But Carrie said to me, she's a very wise woman, she said, listen, we're just at the A&R part where I talk to you about what kind of a song you'd like to write. Let's at least do the A&R part and see how you feel after that. So I did the hour with her um, on um, Zoom or FaceTime or something. And uh, her process is really good. She said, you know, we need to come up with three things that you really want to write about. Right. And then what's the top one? Well, of course, the top of my three things was I'm devastated. I'm in a crater. The world has exploded. I can't get out. I don't know how to look after my kids. I don't know how to continue with life. And it's a normal reaction. Obviously, it's grief, you know, but I was pushing myself to get through it quickly. And the song that came out of that A&R session, she put me with Jess Best, who's a songwriter in L.A. And the song that came out of that is Stay Here Now. And it evolved into probably my favorite song on the album, uh, partly because I enticed my daughter, Lauren, who's actually very shy and does not like performing at all, but loves the studio. She feels like the darkness of the studio really suits her. But I got her to sing that song with me. And Mark became a co-writer because he changed the bridge in such a way that it makes much more sense than it did. So I think I sent you Stay Here Now, but I hope you'll be yeah. able to play it because that's a song in honor of my mother. And it's for people who are grieving, of which, Natalie, there are so many following the pandemic. And the message is really simple. If you find yourself flailing around the place and you don't know what to do, calm down. This is exactly right. how you should be when your world has fallen apart. Amen. Well, we're going to play Stay Here Now. Let's do it.
is beautiful. beautiful. I, I have to say, I'm so overjoyed that I got Lauren to sing on that. I don't know if it'll ever happen again, but <laughs> she elevated the song to a whole new level, you know? I mean, it's fantastic. Uh, very moving. Loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved well, it. Well, I, I actually felt better at the end of it. Once it was written, it mm-hmm. lifted me a little bit out of that hole, you know, and I think that's always right. wonderful when you write a song and it changes how you are, you know? Yeah, and no, music is uh, very healing, very powerful. Very so healing, you, very healing. Yeah, you have an album launch, launch show at the St. and Asbury Park on Monday, July 18th. Uh, tell us more about the event. Well, I am just so thrilled to be back at the St. Um, Scott Stamper, who runs the Saint, is, I think, just one of the, the best venue owners to, to work with. He's absolutely fabulous. And you may or may not know that the Saint is a legendary venue where everybody has played there. Like, you know, it's like the bitter end of the shore, you know. And um, they have been shuttered for the entire pandemic. And in mm-hmm. fact, during the pandemic, Natalie, they, they ran the risk of, of closing down completely. Oh. And he announced that they were having to close and every musician in New Jersey was like oh my god no and then a benefactor who we don't know who it is came in and at the last minute said no you're not closing and I will fund you through the pandemic so that was wonderful for all of us so Sunday is actually their very first day opening after the pandemic and we're the first band in and I could not be prouder I'm over the moon so we're really trying to um, sell as many tickets as we can, of course for ourselves, but even more so for the venue because we want to prove to him, you know, that nothing has changed, that everybody right. still loves the Saint as a venue. It's it's a brilliant venue if you've never been there. It's actually, it only has room for 100 people, which is great, but the sound is amazing. The people who work there are just fabulous he like he hires people like himself obviously but all of our friends who've been down there before at our shows just love it as a venue and we have two um guests opening for us we have rick winoski who used to play with um pat denizio of the smithereens they had their own um band in scotch scotch plains i think they were called the scotch plainsmen but he played an awful lot with pat um in the last few years before he sadly passed away um, and he's a really good friend of mine, Rick Winoski. and he's also uh, joining my band, the Shanna Keys, uh, and we've been rehearsing of course since May now so he's finally happy with uh, how, we're, how we're performing, we're really well prepared. And then the other um, guest I have is, I mentioned to you earlier, Mike Montre who sings on Cover Me Up With Me um, he, I love his writing. Like I've covered a couple of his songs. I love, I love them that much. But he has a singer in his band called Jen Augustine, and she is, her voice is probably my favorite voice of anybody that I know here. She has the most amazing voice. And every time I see her, I'm like, Jen, we have to do something. We're going to do something like Jersey Girls Rock or some women uh, show. And she's going to be front and center because her voice is unreal. And when they sing together, it's just magical. So they're coming, their acoustic project is going to be uh, playing before us uh, at the Saint. And then we have my band, the Shanna Keys. We have an hour set, which includes all the songs on the EP and a couple of old favorites. We picked off of Spotify the ones that have 
the most engagement, so we added those to the set. And um, then we have a finale that's a tribute to my Irish heritage. And we're selling tickets to the live show on the Saint website, but we also have a live stream on Eventbrite because a lot of Irish people wanted to tune in. So those those live stream tickets are selling, and we're very happy about that because that will come back to the Saint as well, you know? That's awesome. I'm happy for you. What is the one thing that you wish you had known before you got into the music business? That's a very, very good question. Um, I wish I had known how much time is required in the current music industry to market yourself and to learn social media and learn all these other things that like every other musician, I would rather never have to do. I would rather sit in my room writing, 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 because I still have an awful lot to say. Um, I don't mind learning new things, but I don't like it when they take more time than the music and the results are not comparable to the work that you put in. Let me put it that way. Amen to that, sister. We got to fix this. We got to fix this. Sisters in music. We got to make it so we can find our tribes. That's it. I, I don't, I would love, I was having coffee with a friend, Shannon, the other day. And Shannon loves every single song I bring out. I said, Shannon, I need a thousand people like you. I used to say a thousand women, but the men started saying, no, we like your songs too. So I'm like a thousand people worldwide like you. That's all I need. And I will write for you until the day I die because I'm writing, reflecting what our lives are now. And it really irritates me. And I told Nikki this, um, Justin Bieber has nothing to say to me about my life. Luke Bryan with his bro country, as great as he is, and I will dance to his music until the day I die. But I have nothing to gain from my legs up on the dashboard with my brown skin and my miniskirt up to my ass because that's not my life. My life is elbows in dishes, teenagers with anxiety, college kids with no money, uh, my son leaving home, trying to navigate a 30-year-old marriage, and these are the things we need to be writing about because this is real life. And I need to find the people who want to have their life reflected in songs with hope. And not, there's only two groups. The ones who want young kids like Justin and mm-hmm. the ones who want dead people like the Grateful Dead. Well, you know what? They're, the Grateful Dead are dead. Their music is there. You don't need to be chasing them anymore. Come out and support the people that are writing about your life. Amen. Amen. You heard it here. Oh, I love that. I agree with the authenticity. Authenticity. That's what you're talking about. That's the word. That's the word, Natalie. Because we're a whole group of musicians, including Mike Montreux's writing, that are some of the best songs I've ever heard in any, you know, group of artists. And it's buried here in New Jersey. I mean, these are the songs about our lives, about splitting up, about getting together about navigating love, about navigating loss, about what we're going to leave behind. You know what I mean? And we yeah. need to find a platform for that music. I'm all, you know me, I'm all about authenticity and it's, it's crazy. Yes, absolutely. You know? Sisters in music. I'm handing over all these jobs yeah. to Sisters in music and I'll, I'll help. But I think you guys have an awesome opportunity here. Yeah, and, and it's funny because a lot of people, and everywhere I turn, I'm always watching something, the word authentic and authenticity keeps popping up. And uh, 
what I realized in talking to many different people is that what pe- that's what people are craving. They're craving. Yeah. Isn't that the poo-poo on the mainstream artists and people wanting to chart, build, blah, 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 blah. That's great. But people want to be able to relate to singers. They, you know, they want to be able to say, okay, Absolutely. Helen, Helen O'Shea on because I can't, she gets me. She gets me. So I'm going to follow. Yeah, but the thing is, the the reason for the thing is that people like you, Nikki, myself, Mike, were writing these songs. They are existing, but they're not getting to where they need to go. So I feel like Sisters in Music and all of us who have the same mindset, for the Mm -hmm. next year, my goal is to find out how to get not just my own songs, but I'm a huge proponent of Mike Montre. I've sent his album to everybody I know in Ireland. He's, He's so good. You know, we got to find a way to get, we need, we need to create a name for this genre of authentic music. You know what I mean? Right. And, yes. and get it to where it needs to go. That's the next job because it's being written. No, definitely. I agree with you a hundred percent. So the last question is, what is a quote or message that you like to live by? Ooh, okay. So the person who said it is always going to be easy for me. Because everything that Maya Angelou ever said mm. just goes straight to my heart. I just wish I had lived with her. I wish I could have sat at her knee and, yeah. and just sucked the wisdom out of the woman. But mm-hmm. I will tell you, and, and if, and if there are, there's at least one woman, I'm going to call her out here, Jamie, who has come to me and said, I hear Maya Angelou in your song. There's at least three references to Maya Angelou across my repertoire right because she creeps into my psyche but the one that i love the most is it's in every mother's prayer the first song i wrote for my mother right and we had we had a very difficult relationship for a very long time and then it became so beautiful and it's a a story for another day but if you listen to every mother's prayer you'll hear maya angelou in there and the quote which i will probably not say correctly but the quote that I live by and I tell all my friends to live by when they come to me for advice, it's as follows, in my head at least. And please, Dr. Angelou, forgive me if I get it wrong. We did what we did when we knew what we did. And now that we know better, we do better. Amen. Thank you so much, Helen, for being on my show today on Chatting with Nat. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I love talking to you because, I, I, you know, you always enlighten me in so many different ways. Um, oh, definitely. that's such really an honor thing to say. Well, you inspire me every day, every post. And <laughs> you and Nikki, I want to get behind you guys a thousand percent and bring all the Jersey girls with me because what you're doing is really important and it could be life-changing for a lot of women. Thank you so much. And that's Helen O'Shea. You can find her at www.helenoshiamusic.com. Follow her and check out her latest album, Know You're Enough, because a lot of people don't really know that they're enough. I mean, it's crazy that people still don't believe in loving themselves. And I think you need to check out the album. Do it today. Download it. Buy it. Stream it. Do whatever you need to do it with it. But listen to it. <laughs> Thanks again, Helen. Love you, Nat. Love, Love you, girls. Have a great weekend. All right. You too, babe. Bye. Bye. That was chatting with Nat with singer-songwriter, recording artist Helen O'Shea. Until next time. Love you. Love you. Love you.
Chatting with Nat is a podcast for independent women seeking to speak their truth and to break down barriers. We host honest conversations that help to guide and empower women. Speak your truth and set yourself free. Let your voice be heard. Love your voice.